Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danzik, and we're excited to announce that we are bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Max Kaiser, Lynn Alden, Tomer Strolight, Corey Clipston, and many others from the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button make sure you get notifications of when we launch a new episode or join us live on Twitter spaces Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern every morning and become part of the conversation. Thank you again. We look forward to giving you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. Government opens for the new uh, session uh, in June. So by law, in June, you can only cover the budget. Uh, By law, in July, everyone is dispersed to go uh, on constituency visits. Uh, Everyone splits up and heads to their constituencies and holds public consultations and town halls to gather... um, data and a mandate for what uh, their constituency expects them to do in Parliament in the following year. Uh, Then in August, everyone comes back. Uh, August, uh, by law, government gets to present their legislative package for the year in August uh, and a bit of September. And then September, October, uh, it's finally open for private members to table bills to the House. So that's when the Bitcoin bill will be tabled. Uh, I discussed um, the support for it previously. Our House is a House of 26, so 14 is a majority. Uh, Our House is made up of, uh, similar to the United Kingdom, a House of Commons and a House of Lords. Uh, but we don't have two separate houses. Uh, it's all combined in one unicameral house. So uh, there are 17 people's representatives, uh, people's MPs, who are elected by universal suffrage uh, by a general election uh, from the country. And there are nine Lords representatives that are elected uh, amongst ourselves each. Uh, island group elects laws to represent their island group in parliament. So, uh, historically, the nine lords, we always vote in a block um, and no one breaks ranks. So, uh, for a bill to get through, uh, you need 14. Uh, That's nine. Uh, Three of the 17... Uh, people's representatives already have contact with the asset uh, through their own financial uh, journeys. Uh, That's 12, uh, leaving two more to procure from the other 14 MPs. So two more shouldn't be too difficult, uh, especially when um, you uh, get up in the house or, or my cousin in my place gets up and reads uh, what I'll write for him to say, uh, which is that uh, you're going to implement, <coughs> excuse me, legislation 
that will effectively return 30% of everyone's disposable income back to them by uh, removing Western Union as the payment rail for remittances which make up 40.1% of our economy, uh, the highest GDP remittance dependence country on the planet. Uh, and merely by replacing that with Bitcoin on Lightning, uh, you will regain the 30% in fees that Western Union takes. So increasing the entire country's disposable income by 30%. Uh, if you get up and say that in Parliament, it is... A uh, fairly safe bet that not too many politicians will want to get up and argue the opposing proposition, which is that no one should be given a 30% increase in their disposable income. So, yeah, September, October is what we're looking at. Um, usually the debate goes for that month, September, October. Then if passed, uh, it gets submitted uh back to the Attorney-General's office for a once-over uh, to make sure everything's in order. Then it gets sent to the Palace office where it awaits His Majesty's decision when to have it viewed before himself in Privy Council uh, and royal assent. That usually takes an extra month uh, and then about a month or so for government to gazette it, or what's called gazetting, which means uh, they formally publish it publicly uh, and send it out to all the government departments uh, to be uh, issued, and an activation date is given, uh, similar to the El Salvador uh, bill, which was passed in May, but only became law in September. So that was four months. Ours is a little bit short. It's about a month or two. Uh, so November-ish uh, would be the soonest it would be. Uh, but, yeah, it's everything is in place. And barring an act of God, um, yeah, it should go ahead uh, as planned. And uh, yeah, we have to remember it's only a part of... Um, the overall plan, uh, the four-part plan to Bitcoinize an emerging emerging markets country is uh, that's the first step. Uh, the GDP remittance dependence uh, resolution through replacing um, legacy finance and legacy remittance industry payment rails with the Bitcoin Lightning payment rails which provide uh, cross-border international peer-to-peer -peer payments with no intermediaries instantly uh, and effectively for free. Uh, so that's the first step. Uh, that involves, <coughs> or would involve uh, a rollout of something like Strike, as was done in El Salvador. We don't have Strike yet, so people can receive... Um, payments to Moon Wallet, Wallet of Satoshi, and the majority of our 100% uh, our ethnically Chinese-dominated retail sector uh, will accept SATs, uh, and they'll cash you out or accept it as payment. They, they accept it 
um, they consider it a foreign currency, so they accept it the way they accept USD. If you proffer it, uh, they merely cash you out. Uh, if the central bank uh, eventually clamped down <coughs> and said, uh, in by doing that, <coughs> you're effectively acting as a, a Bitcoin exchange and a Bitcoin broker, and you, you're going to have to get a license to do that. Um, the Chinese would be well within their rights to argue in return that at international law, the fact that uh, El Salvador has made Bitcoin legal tender means at international law, a sovereign nation has made something their legal tender. By law, every other country has to respect that and accept their legal tender as a foreign currency. So, uh, yeah, that'll be interesting. But uh, the bill will, will nullify that. Uh, but between now and September, uh, if the central bank does that, uh, my, some of my business associates and I uh, have procured a banking charter license uh, out of Wyoming, uh, Delaware and Utah. Uh, and uh, our bank can issue visa cards for our population in Tonga uh, as an off-ramp to spend the Bitcoin. So you can receive Bitcoin to your wallet and associate that wallet with the visa card and you can use the card to spend your Bitcoin as if it was fiat. So, yeah, there are some um, workarounds uh, needed until legal tender occurs. Uh, but uh, we've found some solutions. And then, of course, uh, the third and fourth steps, uh, nation-state-scale Bitcoin mining. And in Tonga, it would be volcano Bitcoin mining uh, akin to El Salvador. We have more volcanoes than El Salvador, so able to produce more power and have more Bitcoin mining. And finally, national treasuries, uh, akin to what uh, Naib Bukele does, which is uh, every time you hear him say he's buying the dip on Twitter, what he's effectively doing is moving uh, his national treasuries out of USD gold and US treasury bonds uh, and into Bitcoin. So that would be the final step for us as well. So, yeah, the upshot of uh, that long uh, tirade, Alex, is that it's good to be back and uh, to have a chat with you, and I hope that uh, served as a bit of an update. Yeah, that was outstanding. Thank you so much. It's great uh, to hear what, what you guys are doing. And it's, you, uh, I'm very excited for you and for, for the entire nation of Tonga and, and the people there. Um, man, it, it makes my, it warms my heart to know that, that this is going to be such an awesome step forward for the nation. And I'm looking forward to you guys becoming an, an energy rich country, you know, with uh, yeah. all the, all the potential geothermal, man, you guys could be the next Dubai. I'm serious about that. I, I, I would love to see that happen. Those exact words are the plan for our, our core team when we have our meetings and map out what we're doing, the, 
The goal on the whiteboard says to become a little Dubai. So <laughs> Outstanding. I love it. All right. Well, uh, I, you know, well, I will personally be praying for your health and everybody else too, I hope. And uh, let's, let's make that happen, man. That is so exciting. Um, I'm not sure whether, uh, Tomer, uh, good morning. I don't know whether you had your hand up or wicked first. I'll let you guys sort that out. Go ahead. Good yeah, morning. I, I just uh, wanted to comment and maybe ask a question in terms of what was just said. It is, it's, it's, it's really profound. And uh, it, you speak so calmly when you describe what's going on, but it, there's a lot. So one, thank you for being so calm and, and so patient through what's obviously a lengthy process. Uh, to make to bring this forward, um, it's so um, it's it comes across as so understated because it, it seems to me that it's so actually seriously important because we now have continuation in countries that are where the governments are not only not resisting Bitcoin but but accommodating accommodating for whatever needs to happen so that people can can choose and use Bitcoin, however, ends up making sense for them. The other thing that I think is is kind of really profound that came to me when you mentioned that the last step in this process is royal assent. It, it's and I think I've got this right. It's royal assent of the from the British Commonwealth, from the Queen of England, and so we will have a country in the British Commonwealth uh, which has had yeah, have had royal assent. But so. We're a member of the Commonwealth, but along with um, uh, Ethiopia, we're the only two uh, BIPOC nations uh, that were never colonized. So uh, we actually have a, a royal family and uh, the king now, uh, his family has ruled over us very peacefully for a little under 2,000 years. Okay. So the royal ascent will actually be from uh, the king of Thailand. Okay. So that, so I, I, I was about to say, if, if the British, if we actually have the Queen of England uh, <laughs> royally ascending, or one of her representatives ascending to Bitcoin being legal tender, I thought that would be a moment yeah. in history. But nevertheless, yeah. it's still so. Yeah, I guess we'll just have to make it happen here in Canada. Absolutely. Such, right, such, a, such a beautiful, such a beautiful vision and template for for the world really so thank you so much for that i really i really enjoyed listening thank you bill appreciate it man it's no doubt exciting stuff right like i i look forward to to tonga like showing the way like being a template for the rest of the world to to learn a better way of doing things moving forward where you don't have all these rent seekers from legacy finance leeching off of the the productive time of other human beings what a, what an amazing time in, in human history that's exactly the point is for legacy finance uh particularly the remittance industry to stop scraping value um from people who can least afford it so uh, that's a great plus and uh, something that we're hoping will catch on because there are a lot of people in, in emerging market nations. Uh, there's around 4 billion of us, uh, 2 billion of whom are unbanked. And uh, Bitcoin on the Lightning Network, 
Uh, it's not so much a consumer investment choice for them, uh, but more a, a, a survival choice for people uh, and countries who need um, uh, a efficient remitter uh, of value, uh, which Bitcoin is, uh, and an ef efficient store of value um, and transactor of value, which Bitcoin is, uh, to save them from GDP remittance dependence uh, and hyperinflation. So for those two billion unbanked of that four billion, uh, Bitcoin on Lightning uh, will be the first time they've participated in any kind of uh, financial system because uh, they don't get to participate in the legacy financial system. The barriers to entry uh, are beyond their capabilities. So that's uh, one of the beauties of Bitcoin. Good morning, guys. Hey, Lord. Uh, glad to have you back. Hey, thanks uh, thanks for... Um, oh, sorry. No, just said good to see you, man. Oh yeah, hey, <laughs> yeah, glad to have you back. Thanks, thanks for uh, for for you know telling us all about that update. Uh, it's very very exciting. Um, I had a a question um, for you, Lord. Um, I've been following you know the the rollout of uh, Bitcoin in El Salvador um, here and there, not like super super uh, in depth, but but been hearing some updates from people you know boots on the ground there. And it sounds like, um, from what I've heard, um, you know, the rollout probably wasn't as smooth as it could have been, right? Um, especially yep. with like the Chivo Wallet <clears throat> app mm -hmm. and um, the educational side of things. You know, like I think it probably would have been better if they had put a lot more focus on the front end. Um, educating the people and especially, you know, the, the lower socioeconomic class um uh folks because um, because it seems like you know the rollout in those neighborhoods uh is is happening a lot slower um than say the the more well-off uh, uh areas which you know which is kind of to be expected but but i you know i had hoped that there'd be a lot more focus on education so anyways this leads to my question um are you guys doing any, anything kind of now preemptively to uh, to educate your population on what Bitcoin is, why it's important, how to use it, um, you know, and then and then are you guys going to do anything um, similar to El Salvador in terms of uh, building your own uh, Lightning wallet or or doing like a airdrop or anything like that to your citizens uh, with some Bitcoin? Um, yeah, they're great questions, man. Um, that's really uh, where the focus. Uh, has been with respect to the rollout. So we're fortunate enough to have had El Salvador uh, lead the way and learn from their strengths, but also learn from their weaknesses. So uh, my friend Louis Rodriguez, who's the head of the El Salvadoran uh, Central Bank and who was largely responsible for the Chivo rollout, um, We've had many discussions, and the four key points he identified, uh, which I agreed with, were uh, number one, the education rollout was not handled optimally. 
Uh, it wasn't uh, done uh, in a ordered, a sort of uh, well-planned manner nationally. Uh, it was ad hoc here and there uh, and in patches. So there wasn't uh, a nationwide, uh, sort of well-managed and planned out even rollout of uh, education. Uh, so in response to that, our efforts, which we began back in June, July, before doing any education uh, on Bitcoin, uh, I decided that in order to understand Bitcoin, uh, it probably uh, we would probably do well to uh, roll out financial literacy education first because it's a lot easier to understand why Bitcoin is important. Uh, if you understand uh, the history of money, how money works, why it works that way, and what's the problem that it's in nowadays. So we began with financial literacy back in June and July um, uh, as a precursor to any uh, Bitcoin education. Uh, no one uh, would touch a moon wallet or a wallet of Satoshi until we'd rolled out the financial literacy education. So uh, that went fairly well, uh, as would be expected. Uh, most people were not financially literate because uh, even in a nation, metropolitan nations that have much more sophisticated populations, uh, financial literacy uh, is not optimal, uh, and that's for very deliberate reasons. Uh, the kind of financial literacy that you need to understand Bitcoin, which is to understand the history of money, uh, the fundamentals of money, uh, and how it works, why it works that way, uh, is deliberately kept out of um, most uh, university uh, curriculums, uh, and especially uh, high school and and uh, primary school. So um, uh, I have Harvard MBA colleagues who have no financial literacy whatsoever because it's not taught, it's kept deliberately from the populations. Uh, so that education, the uh, rollout of workshops in the villages went fairly well. Uh, it wasn't until that was completed that we then moved uh, to uh, what we found through trial and error to be the most effective rollout um, educational wallet, uh, uh, wallet of Satoshi and Moon Wallet uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, firstly, they're KYC free. So in a country uh, like ours, which is 65% unbanked, uh, where the average uh, villager uh, doesn't drive, uh, so they don't need a driver's license and they don't travel anywhere, so they don't need a passport. And without those two things, they can't get a bank account. And the, the existing commercial predatory banks, uh, they're all foreign banks. We, don't, we no longer have a Tongan bank. Uh, those banks don't give poor villagers access to, uh, to capital anyway, so... Uh, they don't have a bank account. So um, Moon Wallet and Wallet of Satoshi are KYC free, so they're perfect. Uh, and you can get 20,000 sats 
in their hand uh, within 60 seconds. Uh, they download the wallet and you hit them with uh, a lightning payment after showing them how to uh, create an invoice. Uh, also, the consolidated uh, Satoshi uh, USD or AUD or Tonant Bar, whatever you choose, uh, and on-chain balance makes it easier for them to get their head around uh, the two things. The, the unit denomination of Satoshi's makes them feel like they've got some value in their hand. Uh, for no coiners and new coiners, we found uh, 20,000 Satoshi's is easier to get their head around than 0.000002 Bitcoin. So uh, that has been effective, Moon Wallet and Wallet of Satoshi. So the education for that, um, when I say it's gone out to the villages, that means uh, it's covered, already covered the capital and the urban areas. And by saying it's reached the villages means it's reached the furthest outskirts of the country, uh, the rural population and the outer islands. Uh, my estate is the outermost island. It's the furthest north, the most remote, uh, and uh, it's reached my island, um, uh, which has a lot to do with the fact that I'm the one uh, doing it. So, of course, I'm going to make sure that my people are, are well uh, taken care of. Uh, so that's number two, uh, number one. Number two uh, in El Salvador was that they found a large number of the population had old cell phones or brick phones which weren't capable of um, downloading Strike or getting uh, Chivo on it uh, and getting it to work uh, at all. So uh, fortunately for us, that is not an issue in Tonga. Um, one of our telcos, Digicel, uh, is an Irish-owned company which... Uh, operates uh, not out of, not in Ireland, uh, operates primarily out of the sub Saharan Africa, uh, Central Southern America, uh, the Caribbean, uh, Southeast Asia, and the Pacific. It, it operates in emerging markets. Uh, so, what it does is it has a fiat digital remittance. Uh, layer or platform through its mobile phones. So it effectively gives out free phones to people, cheap uh, Chinese Android phones, because it wants everyone to have a phone so everyone can get sent and receive digital fiat remittances from their relatives abroad, uh, and they can take those 30% cuts instead of Western Union. So ironically, uh, because of them, everyone has a cell phone. And because of, uh, in 2014, when Tonga uh, rolled out fibre to the door, uh, we did so uh, in a future-proofed manner. So in a country of 100,000, we ensured that we got enough from the World Bank to lay fibre to the door for a million people rather than 100,000. So we have an extremely uh, comprehensive coverage uh, of our entire archipelago 
uh, and hundreds of gigabit up and down to the door to spare. So you'll find islands uh, like mine where portions of it don't have electricity or running water, but uh, they have 5G internet. So that also solves the third problem that's been found to be the case in El Salvador, which is intermittent uh, internet connectivity. So uh, the further out you go to the rural villages in El Salvador, uh, the less internet connectivity there is. You might have to drive or more likely walk to the next village down or the one further down than that to get cell phone reception and therefore get 4G uh, or 3G connectivity and check your wallet. So uh, that is not a problem in time for the reasons I've just discussed. So two and three, the cell phone issue, uh, Tyler has 95% uh, cell phone, not cell phone, but smartphone penetration uh, and 99.95% internet penetration. So those two things aren't an issue in time. Um, with respect to the Chivo wallet, uh, there has been some consideration. And as I said, um, because I've been working in conjunction with Louis Rodriguez, who was the one who rolled out the Chivo wallet, um, we've been able to learn again from their strengths and their mistakes as a, a mechanism and as a tool to, uh, to solve the GDP remittance problem uh, and to re-channel all that disposable income. Uh, it's been invaluable. Uh, from September 7 till now is about 122 days, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and in that time, Achievo Wallet has um, has processed uh, a little under two billion USD in remittances through the Achievo Wallet. Uh, so that's two billion that would previously have gone to Western Union, that now gets to completely without fees into the hands of uh, El Salvadorans. So that's a giant plus. And the concerns about the uh, centralization of Chivo, um, yeah, some of them are valid, some of them aren't. Um, in order to um, implement the Bitcoin Trust Fund, which is what El Salvador has, and which, if we use the national wallet model, we would also. Uh, so in El Salvador, I'm not sure how much you know about how the Chivo wallet works. It's connected to their Bitcoin trust fund. Uh, so a $150 million trust fund uh, is connected to the network so that every time you make a purchase, uh, the concern uh, and the FUD from legacy financiers that the volatility of Bitcoin will make it impossible for people to purchase in Bitcoin and or hold their savings in it uh, for transactionally, any, uh, at least to that extent. The Bitcoin Trust Fund uh, solves that so that every transaction in the country 
the slippage that may occur because of the movements in price of Bitcoin of the US dollar uh, are eaten by the Bitcoin trust fund. So if you buy a $1 coconut from a roadside stall, uh, when you scan that QR code and the payment's made, uh, it will connect to the Bitcoin trust fund uh, to ensure that only exactly $1 is debited from your Bitcoin wallet and only exactly $1 is credited to the vendors. Uh, and there is no loss or gain because of the slippage. Uh, the Bitcoin Trust Fund eats that. So you can only do that with uh, a wallet that is to some extent centralised. Uh, we may or may not have to do that. Uh, again, as I mentioned earlier, uh, our bank, um, my business partners who are my cousins of mine, uh, and by uh, the bank that we own uh, has a visa card that uh, we can use as an off-ramp so that they can spend their Bitcoin uh, natively as if it were fiat and uh, hopefully um, the movement or slippage uh, is covered uh, within the percentages uh, that visa takes care of. But yeah, I think even in that case, there may need to be some connection to a national trust fund of some sort. Uh, that's always uh, on the watch to make sure it takes care of slippage. So, yeah, um, that uh, is the third issue that was raised uh, by their experience. And the final uh was they warned us against uh, to prepare for large-scale attacks from legacy finance-funded um, lobbyists or legacy media. So there's media that's funded by legacy finance who just began doing hit pieces on Nayib Bukele uh, and El Salvador beginning in May when they first announced uh, the people who own Western Union, uh, our remittance industry and uh, legacy banking, uh, they're very, very, very rich, very powerful people. Uh, and they don't give up losing uh, USD 400 a million a year, which is how much they're going to lose in El Salvador. Um, they don't give that up easily. So uh, it's not unheard of for them to be the finance behind uh, protests in inverted commas of people supposedly against Bitcoin in El Salvador. Uh, articles in mainstream media, Reuters, um, AP, uh, Associated Press, uh, there have been articles all over the place attacking Nayib Bukele personally and El Salvador as a country. There are pseudo-academics uh, who consider themselves academics, I guess, uh, like Steve Hankey and uh, people like that who, who take legacy finance money to get on social media or traditional media and, and just uh, run Bitcoin down, run El Salvador down and 
And so their warnings were, make sure you're ready for that. Uh, and uh, we are. So um, those kinds of people, their opinions don't really count. Um, I found Naive Bukele's answer to Peter McCormack in his interview uh, very appropriate and quite telling. When he was asked, was he worried about the IMF and the World Bank uh, backlash, uh, his answer was, well, these people haven't really been all that nice to us uh, over the recent past, so it's not too much reason to, to worry about what they think. Uh, and our experience has been the same. Uh, I've seen uh, social uh, collapse and economic collapse uh, at the hands of the World Bank and the IMF uh, because of the austerity measures they impose on any sitting government uh, in order to procure the loans from the World Bank. They'll make you do things like uh, cut public spending, uh, cut wages to government workers. Uh, so it's when the World Bank did that to us in the early 2000s that caused the only riots in our country's history. Uh, they were a direct result of World Bank intervention in our own domestic policy. So. Uh, yeah, that's not something that we'll want to see uh, occur again or revisit. So uh, we'll ensure to, to uh, maintain our independence from those institutions and uh, to work as hard as possible to completely sever ourselves from any connection uh, to that legacy fiat central banking system. Um, I love yeah. it. I love yeah. it. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I'm interrupting you. No, no, that, that, was, that, is that, was, so, <laughs> that was perfect timing. Let's man, go, let's go. Right? I'm so excited about all of that. That, is, that just fires me the hell up because, man, we are literally watching history unfold right now. And we're all a big part of it. And uh, guys like yourself, Lord Fusatua, who are pushing that forward in your own country, and guys like Nayib Bukele, who I mean, this yeah. is just my opinion. A lot of people don't like what don't like some of the things that guy does, but I'll tell you what: it takes a lot of courage, very much, to do this. A lot of courage, and I'm just excited for for the people of Tonga. I'm excited for the for the world as we move forward. This is awesome stuff. You can right. literally, you can literally feel the momentum. I'm telling you, I'm listening to Lord speak and and paint this picture and what they did down there. And El Salvador was a massive move. It was a big step, hardest right. step to take. But I'm telling you, this move that you guys are making and what you're talking about right now is just, you can just feel it. It's its its big. We do, brother. We really do. We feel the support. The Bitcoin community is unlike any community on the planet. Um, the support from Bitcoiners for one another, especially for a Bitcoin underdog, is just phenomenal. It's it's un incomparable to anything, and it's much appreciated. Yeah, well, if you think about it, none of this was really even possible before, right? We were basically all trapped in the U.S. dollar rails system, so to speak, with the IMF and the BIS and all of their, the World Bank and all the nonsense that that really everybody has had to put up with for as long as I've been alive. I'm super excited for the future with all of this. So thanks for sharing all that. I'm a, a quick bias here, obviously, but no, 
one of the things Laura talked about, and, and as you hear him talk about going to the villages and that educational piece and that financial literacy piece, I mean, it, it, is, it is so utterly important because our top educational institutions, I mean, I have a son at a, at a New England, you know, NESCAC school. You can't talk Austrian economics. You can't mention Bitcoin. Um, it's, it's not a good thing. And so it, it, it doesn't seem like a lot. But if you think about it, the fact that these people on the ground are going to have, you know, the, the, the knowledge of what money is and what the world's been doing and dealing with, with, with all these centralized authorities and the World Bank and IMF and big finance. I mean, it, it is, it's powerful, powerful stuff. So we're here for you. Let's go. Thank you, brother. Let's go. Hell yeah. All right. Uh, Wicked, you've had your hand up for a while. Is there something you wanted to ask or say? Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. When you were speaking there, Lord, you know, I was, I, I looked up, you know, what, what your, your guys' uh, national currency is at the moment. It's the, the Panga. Is that how you pronounce it? That's exactly. Panga. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Panga. Um, uh, and, and what you said at the end there, how you guys are trying to sever connections to, you know, legacy finance, uh, made me think of this question. Um, I, I see that, that, that your currency now is pegged to a, a basket of other currencies. So the Australian dollar, you know, New Zealand dollar, U.S. dollar, uh, and Japanese yen. Um, so it is, is kind of is the roadmap <clears throat> to sever this connection to legacy finance. Is part of that roadmap to eventually phase out your own national currency and go full on Bitcoin? Uh, there's no plans to phase out our national currency, but uh, there is thought that we could move to becoming uh, the world's first uh, Bitcoin-backed uh, domestic currency. Um, but that's uh, a ways away. Um, we don't need uh, to do anything uh, to our domestic currency uh, to enable Bitcoin uh, to be used as legal tender. Uh, people will naturally move towards the protocol which is paying them an extra 30%. And so uh, you, you have to remember that when when you're receiving $100 now instead of $70, uh, which you'd receive if it was sent through Western Union, uh, that extra 30% of disposable income, which the entire country will feel, uh, will initially be used to raise their standard of living. Uh, but after a while, uh, everyone will realize they used to get by on the 70%. Uh, it was hand-to-mouth, but they got by. So uh, the natural human tendency will be to uh, raise your standard of living at the beginning uh, in a sort of celebratory manner with the extra 30%. But when reality sets back in, you'll go, okay, I used to get by on 70 so now, with the thir extra 30%, uh, you actually have the possibility of having savings. Uh, so people who uh, generationally, for uh, 10, 12, 20 generations, could never afford savings, can now afford to put money away for the future, uh, is paradigm changing, and they will do so. Uh, but they will also be doing so not in melting at 5% per annum fiat, but in a protocol that uh, appreciates uh, an a value of around 200% per annum, 
uh, which is Bitcoin. So if you're transacting and you're saving in Bitcoin, uh, the existence of our domestic currency, which is good uh, for national identity uh, and uh, maintenance uh, of uh, our own executive and nation states feeling of um, independence uh, and sovereignty as a nation state. We really don't need our domestic fiat currency to be all that functional. Uh, it can just be there in name only if need be uh, or eventually to transition into being backed by Bitcoin. So, yeah, uh, there's no immediate plans to phase it out. Jared, good morning. Go ahead. Hey, so I've got a question for Lord. Um, no, I'm kind no. of interested to hear your thoughts on, uh, or at least uh, what what you've experienced in terms of challenges that you've been facing in discussing and explaining the value of the Bitcoin standard to the other elected officials and politicians that you work with, uh, particularly in light of the fact that, you know, like Cyclone Harold and I think it was Gita in 2018 has have pretty, pretty drastically affected uh, my friends and, and some of the connections I have in Tonga. Um, and I hear about that pretty regularly. Um, and a lot of discussion about borrowing money from the IMF at a 0% interest rate, which, you know, uh, comes from their, I think, RCF fund, which is 0% for five and a half years with a maturity date of 10 years. That's really cheap money. How, how does one in your position go about discussing the value of a Bitcoin standard when money is so cheap to what the IMF calls, you know, uh, poverty-stricken nations or low-income countries? Um. <clears throat> Yeah, that's a great question. Um, when you're in an emerging market country, uh, you're in a situation of uh, initially of beggars can't be choosers. So uh, some emerging market nations tend to lose a little bit of their both sense of sovereignty uh, and their de facto actual sovereignty. Um Because of that, uh, and uh, they become stuck in a cycle of uh, debt dependence, the debt trap, the the infamous World Bank IMF debt trap, uh, which is coupled with uh, fiscal policy that's been there for decades, where effectively the IMF and the World Bank uh, have been um, the annexation rails uh, for uh, the G7 nations, to maintain Africa uh, as uh, a mine to be extracted of minerals for cheap use uh, in the West uh, uh, and for those minerals to be reprocessed and manufactured and sold back to Africa as manufactured or processed goods at a profit so that you're stuck in a debt trap and in import dependence. Uh, that happens uh, with South America and the Caribbean, uh, kept as plantations, uh, uh, UFC, United Fruit Company, uh, existed purely uh, to do that, uh, to subjugate uh, South America into being a banana supplier uh, for the West. Uh, and 
your uh, your tertiary and secondary industries are deliberately suppressed uh, by the IMF. So that free money is not actually free because they'll make sure that you do not build telecommunications companies, you do not build manufacturing companies. Uh, you are forced, if you're Africa, to put your resources that you get from them into primary industries to make sure that your mining industries flourish, but everything else suffers. Uh, that's also the case in South America, the Caribbean, and indeed with us. Uh, the, the cause of the riots uh, was when our current king was prime minister in the early 2000s. Uh, the, the loans we got from the World Bank uh, refused to fund um, infrastructure, uh, tertiary uh, manufacturing industry of any sort, uh, any secondary industry. Uh, it was all geared towards maintaining us as an aquarium uh, for marine resources uh, and a plantation. So um, to your question, um, it's not really free money. Um, and uh, should we or should we not take it if it's on offer? Of course, I'd take it. Um, take it and use it, but do not comply with uh, their requirements. Uh, the worst they can do is stop giving it to you, uh, and you've already gotten what you wanted out of them in the first place. So uh, you can take, for instance, our, the rollout of our cable in 2014, so when we rolled out fibre to the door, uh, it required uh, between a 26 and $42 million loan from the World Bank. So uh, my mother was the uh, Minister of Communications at the time. So she was the one who got the, the cable deal. She was the one that negotiated with the World Bank. Uh, and because she's cheap, um, Instead of paying for <coughs> a legal advisor, uh, she had a son who's a, a barrister, so she used me for free as their legal advisor. Uh, and uh, what I advised them to do was uh, we got to a stage in the negotiations where the World Bank said, you simply do not uh, qualify for the loan. Uh, Tonga's economic growth is below the percentage uh, that we require for you, us to assess you as being able to service the loan. Uh, yeah, your ability to service it through any assets or export numbers, it's just not there. Uh, so you don't qualify for the loan. Uh, so what Jared's actually talking about began around then uh, because I advised my mother to keep asking them why we didn't qualify for the loan. Um, so uh, when you're a barrister, uh, you get taught, uh, this is after law school, when you learn uh, do your clerkship or in some places it's, it's an extra degree before you get admitted to the bar. Uh, they'll teach you. You never ask a question in court uh, because you want to know the answer. Uh, you already know the answer, but you want the judge to hear them say it. So uh, we needed them to say out loud that Tonga's too poor. 
Uh, so eventually we got to the stage where the lady who was in charge said, uh, yeah, well, the, the reason we can't give the loan is you can't service the debt. Uh, the country is too poor. So as soon as she said that, then that guaranteed us getting that money because once that's on the record, then you qualify for the World Bank's least developed nation status. Uh, they have an LDN or LDC, least developed nation or least developed country category. And if you fall within that category, then according to their own <coughs> uh, charter, uh, they have to give you the money for free. That if, you if you qualify for that, then you qualify for it as a grant where you don't pay it back, they just give you the money. So they ended up giving us the money for the cable. Uh, so the temptation to take that money is very real. And uh, my advice, and which has been the case since that administration under Dr. Ferretti Severe, who was the Prime Minister at the time, uh, my advice to him was the same. Take the money. It's the same advice they give to Bitcoiners. There's free fiat out there, debt, that you can take on and buy Bitcoin with. Get it, buy the Bitcoin, stack it, uh, and use free, uh, worthless fiat to get it. So my advice on a nation-state level is exactly the same. Take the free fiat. Don't comply with their requirements. If they don't like it, they can leave. Uh, and you just don't repay them. What are they going to do? Come and blow up your country? Of course not. Uh, continue on the Bitcoinization journey uh, and make use of what used to be the rails of your subjugation uh, to be uh, the financier uh, of your um, freedom uh, and your escape. So, yeah, I hope that makes sense. Jared, if you had a follow-up to that, uh, go ahead. I, I have another question. Yeah, just a br brief, real brief follow-up. Um, it sounded a lot like you were suggesting that uh, the money that Tonga was receiving from the IMF was going to be put into Bitcoin. Um, I know that uh, what Tonga received for COVID relief and for uh, Cyclone Harold was somewhere in the range of like $9.9 million. Did any of that get put in Bitcoin? No, no, that's my point, uh, is to take the money that's uh, on loan and put it towards uh, what they're purportedly giving it to you for. Uh, they'll say it's for hurricane relief, but they'll make sure that the hurricane relief is in the areas uh, where uh, the agricultural farms are most prevalent because they want that supply chain back up and running. Uh, but no, yeah, so my advice would be take the money, put it towards the hurricane relief because it's much needed. Uh, but having taken that re hurricane relief money, that should not impact uh, the progression of the Bitcoinization. Uh, if anything, it should aid it. I hope that if you are uh, ever in a position to uh, discuss and explain the value of the Bitcoin standard to any of your colleagues and you need a tag and a bro, that you're willing to hit me up so I can uh, jump in there with a the people's elbow. 100%, brother. 100%. That people's elbow, I'll do the eyebrow raise for you on the rock's behalf and then you can drop the people's elbow.
Hey, so I, I had a question uh, that what you were just saying made me think of uh, a Lord and, 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 you know, maybe you can answer it or, or anyone else on the panel who maybe has a thought. Um, but we often hear, you know, the phrase Bitcoin fixes this. And what you just said about, you know, like the IMF giving out these large uh loans or, or grants even to poor nations uh, without the expectation that they pay it back, you know, because it's a grant. Um, if we were to move on a Bitcoin standard kind of globally, um, I wonder how things like this would still be in place. Like how, how, how would a world on a Bitcoin standard um, manage our collective wealth in Bitcoin and distribute it to nations that are, uh, that are, you know, that are still impoverished, uh, in the form of grants or, or, or what have you. Anyone have any ideas on that? Can I make, I want to make one comment on that. If you don't mind, Alex wicked. Um, and this is just very abruptly, but <clears throat> I think this is in line with what Lord is really talking about, about the, strings attached with the IMF and the World Bank and all that, I'm not so certain that once we're on a Bitcoin standard that at least these big countries will be so gracious anymore. I, I hope that smaller nations that have seen what is done for them will share, if you will, and, and, and uh, you know, look out towards. But And I, I don't mean that to sound like it probably sounds, but I'm pretty passionate about this because Bitcoin has forced me to learn <clears throat> about history and forced me to learn about the, if you want to say it, the weaponization of the U.S. dollar specifically. So as much as I'm a patriot, I really do consider myself a patriot. I'm, I'm pretty disgusted <laughs> at the same time now that I've become more aware of what, what the U.S. dollar has done all over the world. So I would love to believe that once we have sound money, um, maybe that would also force uh, political structures where there's term limits, things like that, where people are truly, you know, serving in public office because they actually have a, a motive to help people not only in their own country, but in the world. So I, I think if some of those things change, surely there will be a distribution uh, of that to countries that need it. But I think it, it's uh, too early to tell. <laughs> so, the the if you think through the scenarios and the game theory of how this will all play out, this whole all of this is going to take decades, right? We've got over a hundred years of um, being on sort of the the fiat dollar legacy system where all these controls have been in place as well. If you go back to the colonizations of various different um, peoples and countries, I mean, this goes back even farther than that. And uh, to speak to what you said, Shane, totally in agreement with you, like how long it takes for this transition to occur, don't know. Like we're, we're in a monetary reset, right? We're probably going to see the change of the world's reserve currency over time, how these entities react to this is, is unknown, but, you know, to take a page from Jason Lowry and, and I'm not an expert on, on, on Jason Lowry, but like 
everything everything that's done in a kinetic sense or in a, or in a in a, a sort of a coercion sense you know at the at the barrel of a gun so to speak is done as a function of coordinating resources and energy and projecting that at a precision point right what this entire thing is going to do is de-resource all of that activity slowly and hopefully we get to a point where it's de-resourced to the degree that that um, governments, big governments, if they are to survive, are going to have to be fiscally responsible. I mean, if anybody can even freaking imagine a world where that's happening, um, <clears throat> they're going to have to do that. Because the game theory is you're going to have countries like Tonga, you're going to have countries like El Salvador, you're going to have other countries that... Um, are essentially moving forward into the future and embracing what Bitcoin is going to do and how it's going to change the world. And then you'll have the legacy countries that that may or may not try to resist it. I guess it depends upon that roadmap of of how quickly they get de-resourced uh, in, in the areas of, of using coercive methods to get people to do what they want. Yeah, I'm sure some of the bigger nations, right, Alex, will be like China, right? If I understand history right, China was one of the last to get off of silver and go into gold. So, you know, for whatever reason, they hung on to that. I'm sure that some of the biggest nations in the world will, because of the power that they have with the current system, will be some of the last to uh, to move. But surely it will eventually happen. Yeah, but it's gonna. Ha it's probably gonna happen over over a, a span of time, right? This, these kinds of things throughout history have never have never happened quickly. You know, the switch from the British pound to the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency took something like fifty years, depending upon where you started measuring it from, right? So that's five decades. It's a long time. Now, the the thing that butts up against that is that Bitcoin is not just a new monetary system but it's a new technology right and technologies tend to follow s curves for adoption so <laughs> it's kind of hard to project how that will play out because s curve adoption uh for all technologies has become quicker and quicker and quicker in terms of their their cycles right if you think back to the adoption of the automobile versus horse and buggies. I'm staying with some friends here in Washington. We were just having this conversation last night. Uh, and then you, you move on to other technologies, you know, uh, TV, uh, et cetera. The, 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 the most recent versions of that are the internet and PCs and cell phones. The adoption curves happen so much faster, right? So how that affects that de-resourcing effects, I, I don't know. Like um, there are people that's way above my pay grade. There are people much smarter than me and probably figure that out better. But these are all scenarios that I think that need to be considered. I'm, Lord, I'm sure you've thought through probably some of this stuff yourself. You have any thoughts here? Um, yeah. So I think the G7 uh, nations, uh, for obvious reasons, will be the last to capitulate. Uh, their fiat central banking systems, well, it's not fiat, but their central banking systems are almost five centuries old. Their fiat central banking systems are a bit younger. But 
it's the same people behind the the five century old central banking system, and those families um, which run central banking and are not elected officials, but have been doing so uh, for generations. Um, they're not going to give up their power easily. Uh, these people are powerful enough um, to finance both sides of any political uh, argument or uh, election of vying for power. They back both sides and uh, they finance the winner. So they make decisions that will decide how nation-state actors uh, act. Um, emerging markets like us, our central bankers, our central banking systems are less than five decades old, so they're much uh, easier to uh, uh, navigate uh, and eventually uh, get them to capitulate. Uh, in Tanzania, the, their president simply ordered their central bank to get ready to accept Bitcoin. Um, so, yeah, 100%. The G7 and the G20 will be the last uh, to fold. Uh, it will be a, a drawn-out process, but they're making contributions in other ways. So Bitcoin and the Lightning Network, for instance, will most likely propel Bitcoin adoption for the next decade purely because the sheer volume of numbers of the 4 billion people in emerging markets who will turn to it um, out of necessity, purely for survival, uh, will propel Bitcoin adoption. But the required liquidity to be in Bitcoin to enable them to do that is still going to be done in G7 nations. Um, the institutional adoption, uh, the ETFs, which bring the trillions of dollars of boomer money into um, the Bitcoin uh, space, as much as you hate to say it, will eventually end up in the base asset. So that liquidity uh, is needed to go in parallel with uh, the adoption that's repelled in emerging markets. So uh, despite the fact that their central banks will be slow and therefore their executives will be slow to come to the party, uh, they will be contributing uh, to worldwide global Bitcoinization uh, in one way or another. All right, so more game theory type questions. Uh, the the scenario where uh, the G7 bands together and tries to resist the adoption of Bitcoin, where do you place the probability of something like that? And do you think that they actually have tools to to do something like that. I'm sorry, I was just receiving a message. What was the question again asked? What I was asking was, um, so we've heard the scenario, kind of people have thought, thought this through or presented this scenario where the G7 gets together and sort of as a unit uh, tries to slow the adoption of Bitcoin or tamper with Bitcoin adoption in some way. Um, what do you what do you think the probability of that occurring is? Do you think that they have the tools to to do that? 
Um, I think it may or may not occur. Its likelihood is not something um, I really have an opinion on or have strong um, evidentiary uh, arguments either way. I think um, to consider that uh, in a vacuum is probably not... Um, uh, the most realistic uh, manner in which to view it. Uh, it needs to be viewed in the context of the fact that China is now pushing for uh, world reserve currency status for the digital yuan. So the rails that I talked about previously that the World Bank and the IMF uh, were the harbingers for throughout emerging markets uh, keeping Africa as a mine, South America and the Caribbean as a plantation, us as a plantation and an aquarium. Uh, China over the past three decades has been replacing those rails with rails of its own. Uh, so you have cobalt mines in Ghana, you have entire villages in Ghana that don't have any English signs whatsoever, everything's in Mandarin. Uh, the Chinese gold mines in South Africa, their agricultural interests throughout South America, uh, their agricultural interests in the United States. 53% of foreign-owned farms in the United States are Chinese-owned. Uh, and, of course, they're well-documented um, agricultural and primarily marine resources in the Pacific, uh, both North and South Pacific, uh, and the geopolitical um, relationships they've been establishing in the Pacific. Um, it's put the G7 in a position where uh, they have to fight for world reserve currency status. And um, game theory-wise, uh, somehow bootstrapping themselves to Bitcoin is the only way the West is going to maintain world reserve currency status. The very deliberate Chinese push for the digital yuan to be so um, is in competition to that. So it's not really them against the G7 against Bitcoin. It's the G7 and Bitcoin against the digital yuan. Uh, that's what. Uh, that's the scenario that will end up being played out. The G7, sorry, just quickly, the G7 will have to weaponize Bitcoin the way it weaponized the US dollar. That's a fascinating concept. First time I've ever heard that. Um, how would that even be possible? Do you have any thoughts on that? Like, um, Because... <clears throat> Bitcoin ownership is, uh, it will change in the next decade as emerging markets adopt it, but is now primarily of the 150 million owners of Bitcoin on the planet, a large uh, amount of them are in the United States, 54% uh, of the United States uh, have some contact uh, with the asset, uh, which is why uh, next election, I think it'll be a 
a significant single uh, voter issue. A single issue uh, voting um, paradigm. Uh, but the way that they'll bootstrap themselves to it is uh, the US is still primarily the, the place uh, that comes out with the technology uh, and the infrastructure that is required for Bitcoin. Nearly every company, OpenNode, is doing the, la the lightning infrastructure in uh, El Salvador. Uh, and you can point to anywhere where there are Bitcoin solutions to uh, financial or technological issues uh, almost always involve uh, American commerce uh, at the very least and G7 commerce uh, at the most. So, yeah, the, the spread of Bitcoin is still largely, uh, to a certain extent, dependent on G7 technology, um, uh, albeit discount, not, not discounting Bitmain uh, and the TMU, but yeah, you see my point. Uh, it's, its involvement uh, is necessary uh, for the spread of Bitcoin uh, and vice versa. So uh, I think that will be one of the drivers. Man, this has been a pretty fascinating discussion. When we originally started the room, we were, we were planning on discussing de debunking the top five sort of uh, <laughs> urban myths of Bitcoin, and and this is has changed to to me a much more fascinating discussion, which is the geopolitics and the game theory of how Bitcoin is going to play out on the world stage. Um, I think we don't have enough discussions like this. I, I've I've never heard some of these perspectives I always learn something from you. Uh, so I'm really glad that you came and, and decided to give us an update and share what's going on and what's on your mind. Cheers, brother. It's always a pleasure to be here. Man. Yeah. All right. So, wow. So much to think about. I'm going to be, uh, my brain's going to be processing this all day. Um, does anybody else have anything they want to ask or add to the conversation? I mean, we don't get Lord in here very often and, you know, when he does pop in, it's an awesome opportunity. The man has perspectives and understandings of things that it's kind of rare air in some ways. So if you have a chance to ask a guy like this questions, like it's, it's, it's a good thing to do. Anybody else? You can also Every time. Every time I hear Lord speak, I realize that he's already on the moon and we're just trying to get there. Hey, thanks, brother. Good to see you, bro. You too, man. I hope you're healing well. Thank you, brother. appreciate that. I, I, I am I'm making progress. Thank you. Alex, I have a question. I'm just, this is purely curious because we, we're talking about you know, El Salvador and, and them going first and you learning from both their successes and the things that didn't go so well. And m maybe you already have some of this infrastructure, but are you, are you also planning on putting in like Bitcoin ATMs in Tonga as well? Is that a part of the plan? Uh, we had intended on doing so. Um, so the same bank that I'm a part owner of, uh, was going to donate 300 ATMs 
but uh, we found it's probably um, more practical to issue everyone our Visa card because then they're not dependent on Bitcoin-specific ATMs. Those Visa cards can be used natively at any legacy uh, ATM <coughs> or FPOS machine. They can just use it as if it was fiat. So it's a more practical uh, off-ramp uh, for their Bitcoin. I, I was thinking, and, I, and obviously it's both, I was thinking that it might also be helpful for those that are unbanked to get Bitcoin by going through an ATM. But Yeah, no, now that that is a, a super valid agreement. That's why, uh, if at all, Bitcoin ATMs are still a, a consideration, is to onboard the the fiat uh, people who don't have a bank account and only have cash uh, that's the only way for them to get the cash into their visa card that will give them for free so yeah to that end uh, that's still being thought about uh, if there's not a better solution then we may have to end up doing that All right, guys. So um, I don't see any DMs in. This is a good uh, time probably to wrap this particular topic and um, move on a little bit. Uh, just a couple of quick housekeeping items. You guys are listening to Cafe Bitcoin, and uh, we're glad to have you here. We do this every single day, Monday through Friday. We start at 7, or 7 a.m. Excuse me, Pacific time, 10 a.m. Eastern. Run for about two hours. Talk about all things Bitcoin. Um, we've had some really interesting things going on. Uh, Shane Trammell, who's one of the speakers up here on the stage, has had a really interesting thing he's been working on uh, with a school that's local to him. Shane, do you got a couple minutes? Do you want to talk about that and, and let us yeah. know what you're doing there? Uh, Sorry, yeah, Shane. You. Just before we transition, um, I've just been called. Uh, I, I run a team of Tongan Bitcoin miners. Uh, and one of my miners has just messaged me with a, um, uh, call it Mayday, Mayday. So I'm going to bounce out, but it's been an absolute pleasure. Alex, uh, Shane, everyone in the room, Jared, good to see you, brother. Uh, Wicked, um, I think Satya was still here earlier. Uh, Svetlana, good to see you, sister. Um, uh, and, yeah, uh, so it's been a pleasure. And I hope to pop by soon again, folks. Uh, have a good one. It's great having you. Have a great day. Be safe Thanks. out there, my brother. All right. So, Alex, i'll I'll do the I'll do the short version, and then you know, because it's all kind of happened slow and then fast, and you know, there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of ideas that uh, of what the future thing is. But I'll share what we're doing right now. So um, I guess first thing I'll say, you know, it's purely volunteer type stuff. So, you know, just so everyone understands the <laughs> motivation, I, you know, there is a, a lady that, that um, is a, has been a school teacher in the past and a substitute, that type of thing. She approached the school, which is literally five minutes from my house um, to do an after school program. The, the Bitcoin part of it was not really, a part of the plan, but, you know, I shared with her that I'd already pitched this to a, um, 
community center, which would, which, um, you know, would have been a great avenue as well. And, and this community center was in a at-risk neighborhood. So that, that was very important to me. Although I think Bitcoin should be for everyone. I like working with the quote unquote underdog. <laughs> I like front running just, uh, kind of like what was talked about earlier in many ways. I think wild BTC kind of in a sense talking about that and, you know, but anyway, so I, I shared with this lady the, the idea that I had about a Bitcoin savings program, and I'm very uh, uh, insistent about calling it savings as well, right? Because I believe that Bitcoin is a savings technology. I have no interest in, although it has its place, I don't want to teach them about quote-unquote investing. I want them to learn about savings first, and, and I also want Bitcoin to be the core. And I'm sure that people will come to me as this, maybe gets out, hey, will you do this, but but not do the Bitcoin part, and I will absolutely not do it. I mean, you know, I, 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 we've only got so much time on this earth, and I'm, I'm 100% committed that it is the hardest money ever, and so it's an integral part, in my opinion, of, of the plan. So the plan is, and Swan helped us with this, you know, Swan is always, and I'm not getting paid to say this, but Swan is always my go-to now having uh, been on this journey for about nine months and used exchanges, used all kinds of things, uh, we got great customer service. So got a Swan account, and our approach is basically to, um, um, you know, buy the big. So the parents pay, I think it's $25 a week for their students, for their kids to be a part of this after-school program at two and a half hours. And there's like a smash by piece to this, if you will, and a dollar cost average piece. So each kid is getting $20 in Bitcoin as of yesterday. We funded it, and that was the tweet. And by the way, that's in the nest. I would love it. A lot of people already have. If you would like it and retweet it, that would be amazing. Um, but they got $20 in Bitcoin in Swan. You know, we're waiting for that to clear ACH, and we're using because it's makes it easy. We're using Blue Wallet. So the program director, the lady I'm working with, will have Blue Wallet on her phone. And at least from now till May, because school, you know, is out in May, that will be, that Bitcoin will be in an, it's, we literally created an on-chain wallet for each of them on Blue Wallet. And then at the end of May, we'll see where it goes. You know, it'll be obviously up to the parents mostly, but if they want, I would love to encourage them to keep it going through the summer on into the next year. But, you know, if they want to take it, whatever they want to do with it, my hope is obviously I'll have enough impact that they'll decide not to sell it. Um, so they're going to dollar cost average for each student. It'll be $5 a week as well. So of that 25 that they pay each week, five of that will continue to come out and go into their account. And again, we will, depending on what the parent wants to do, and I'm going to try to educate them on all this, they can, we may even move that money into another on-chain account that they fully control, right? I mean, because they may want, they may learn that that's the most secure way to do it. And I would, I will totally support that. So a couple of the other things, and if I'm talking too fast, tell me, I just know that we don't have a lot of time. You know, the intent, is that there's no limit with regards to what we can do because Bitcoin is so uh, massive with regards to all the aspects of it. But fundamentally, we want them to learn 
uh, you know, and watch as as Bitcoin, uh, you know, the volatility. We're not going to hide the fact that there's some volatility. We want them to learn age appropriately what volatility is. We want I want them to understand what inflation is, what hard money is, what fiat money is, the history of, you know, the history of money, how um, how the world transitioned from a barter type system mostly to, you know, direct trade to indirect trade using some forms, different forms of money. So we're going to teach them Austrian economics. We probably will not use that term, but I'm super excited about that just in and of itself because, you know, just like Wild BTC was saying, you know, I'm, I'm not saying I have an exhaustive pulse on everything, but I know that it's so unlikely that an 11 year old kid, and I hope that we start getting some high schoolers as well, but by, uh, for context, we're talking probably the range of 10 to 13, mostly. Got five students right now, but we're looking at, I think, having at least 12 here before the week's out. So the program will grow. Uh, we've got two and a half hours. A certain portion of that will be where I can kind of teach the economics part of that. We also want to bring in mining. I want to also hopefully create at least a small, even if it's just with a few merchants, some kind of a, a circ Bitcoin circular economy, you know, I'll work with maybe. A, and what I just literally thought as, as I was waiting to talk about this, to have maybe a quote unquote shopping day <laughs> where these kids can go spend a little bit of their Bitcoin with the place, you know, that maybe it's a video game, whatever, right? Something like that. I just kind of think that would be fun. I obviously want to encourage them to continue to save the majority of it, but I also want them to see the fact that it can be used uh, in a in, in a in a sense of a, as a replacement, right? For for fiat. <clears throat> want to get into mining, so there's no budget. You know, this is the other thing I want to share. I've I've spent all my effort just trying to help her get this done. I mean, again, we're talking about a a school system that didn't even have a high school until last year. They built a new building. Now they have a high school. I don't know what the full enrollment is, but it's very, very small. We're talking probably a 1A, a 1A school, you know, which the next level down is six-man football. So <laughs> uh, pretty small. And I'm just super excited that we're literally, you know, um, you know, groundbreaking. And like I when I sent out the tw a, a response to a tweet, I think last night, I'm like, it shouldn't be groundbreaking. And I'm not saying it's groundbreaking because that somehow puts any, um, you know, visibility towards me. It's just groundbreaking because no one generally speaking is doing it right. Definitely not in our County, not even in probably the surrounding bigger counties. So I'm excited to be able to uh, get something going. You know, we want to, I want to do mining. I want to do, uh, uh, you know, node, all those kind of things. So the last thing I'm going to say, there was no budget really. And obviously at $25 a week, most of those other things cannot be done without sponsors and various other things. So I'm obviously going to be working locally to try to find people that want to support this and anyone, you know, out in the greater community that wants to help in any way, obviously we will not turn that down, but I fully expect that there will be other um, you know, schools, districts in the area. I mean, there's probably at least five different school districts that are within 30 or 25 minutes of me or less. So I'm hoping that the news will, will get out and there'll be opportunity to spread this into other 
communities. And I'm sure I've left out some things, but yeah, we, we full on, I full on want to orange pill them. I, I would do, I will say maybe just a couple more things. I have every expectation that some of these parents will want to step it up at a level, right? Where they're actually saving uh, larger portions of their income. I'm sure that the businessmen and women and business owners um, will will say, hey, I need to do this. That leads to uh, individuals and companies offering, uh, you know, IRAs, 401ks, all in Bitcoin, all those kind of things. And none of that is off the table as far as I'm concerned. But we're starting small with five kids. <laughs> so that's kind of the. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go, Shane. <laughs> Make sure, Sorry. hey Shane, Shane, I'm so glad I popped back in. Please make sure we 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 connect, okay? Yeah, for sure. We got to do and it. I say one last thing. I want to say thank you to, to the Bitcoin community, everyone here, and and on. I mean, you know, the for me, it's a pretty big deal. I mean, that po the post that I put out last night, pretty simple post, or you know, had almost 500 likes, has 52, you know, 52 retweets, and 19 comments. So um, I I can't. I can't say how excited I am with regards to the support of it. And so, yeah, that's, that's what I'm going up there again, you know, later this afternoon to, um, and I, I will say one other thing, this is the lady that I orange pilled maybe about a month ago. She's in her late sixties or early seventies. I don't know. And you don't ask a lady their age, right? <laughs> but, um, she is just on fire for this you know she bought bitcoin for her 10 grandkids for christmas and all the things so she is very as we all know very atypical with regards to the generally speaking the age categories that are embracing bitcoin so i'm, I'm pretty excited about she can't even quite convince her son yet right which is probably 20 years younger than her businessman all that can't convince him yet He's been told by his financial advisors that it's crazy. So I'm like, just give me 30 minutes. Just get me 30 minutes somehow or another with him. And I think I can get him beyond at least the hesitation phase. So anyway, that that's kind of the update right now. Right on. Shane, I just want to say, man, thank you for everything you're doing. I think it's awesome. You know, people need to, to have this kind of education. Our kids need to have this kind of education. I know growing up, obviously, none of us were taught this kind of stuff in school. Most of the stuff that you need to learn that actually matters having to do with finances. Nowadays, you got to seek out the information and the truth and you got to figure it out yourself. So I really appreciate what you're doing, man, for... And I know it's a small effort. It's a grassroots thing, right? But hopefully that kind of thing will spread. So if you're listening to this live or if you're listening to this on podcast, he's at Shane Trammell, S-H-A-N-E-T-R-A-M-M-E-L on Twitter. Follow him. If you want to get involved with helping him out, shoot him a DM. You can shoot me a DM, um, you know. As far as I'm speaking for myself, I can't speak for Swan on this, but like anything we can do to help you out, man, like I, I, you have my support and uh, I, I suspect Corey would be highly supportive of this effort as well. You probably already talked to him about it, but yeah, awesome stuff. Way to go, man. I haven't, I haven't, but I'll just say I, again, thank you again. This platform alone is um, just totally incredible. And so, um, uh, yeah, 
Thanks so much. Uh, you know, I, I will also, although he's gone, I will say as well, you know, what Lord said, the, the Bitcoin community is the, the most, you know, when you think about communities, the most amazing community I've ever been involved in other than as a Christian, my, you know, my Christian local community. But as far as beyond that, it, it, it just blows me away, you know, the support and regardless of what some of our views are, we, we certainly all rally around this particular thing and it's amazing. So thanks again. Yeah. You bet brother. Good people, right? That's what I love about it too. Good people. Dini. Good morning. Do you have something you wanted to add? I actually just wanted uh, to know how he wanted people to get a hold of him. Uh, if he was going to set like a donation link up, if he was going to have something like that, like, Can you yeah, just that was a, only coming up for that. I'll DM you. Yeah. That's fine. Just send me a DM first and we'll figure out a way, but thanks for even asking. Yep. And, and yeah, just what mimicking what Alex said. Thank you for your work on Bitcoin. Awesome stuff. Love this community. Okay, we're going to move towards wrapping up. Does anybody up here has any final comments? Uh, now's the time. I really hope that when Bitcoin makes it to Tonga, that Tongan woman will have the right to own property. Okay. <laughs> That's an interesting uh, can of worms to say in the last 30 seconds. Thanks, Jared. <laughs> That's what I was trying to do. That was for you, Jacob, just so you know I love you, man. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh Right on. So that pretty much we're going to wrap there. You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Thanks for being here. We do this every Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific, run for about two hours, talk about all things Bitcoin. Thank you to everybody for being here. Thanks to our listeners on the podcast. I want to thank my co-hosts, Ant and Jacob Pope. For the speakers that have come up here today, appreciate all you guys. Throw them a follow. They're all awesome. Work with Swan Bitcoin. I'm a managing director with Swan Private. If you have questions about Bitcoin, you want to learn about Bitcoin, shoot me a DM. I am happy to help you out. And then for everybody in the community, I love all of you guys. Uh, and if you're new to Bitcoin, you're just learning about it, you're going to find that Bitcoiners are some of the kindest, most helpful, genuinely wanting to... Uh, help educate you and care about your care about your future out of any group of people I've ever met. So love all of you, everybody go out there, have a great day and crush it. Bye everybody. Take it easy, Alex and everyone. Yep. Thanks Alex. Awesome show today. See everyone.